every time I see like, let's thank an essential worker, it's like, I wish that people acknowledge that mothers are essential workers, regardless of what we're doing for pay or at home, like our work is essential. And like maybe there is heroism and just getting through every goddamn day. This is The Double Shift, and I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. And I'm your co-host, Angela Garbus. And yes, 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 mothering is essential work. You are speaking my language, Catherine. I love to speak your language, yes. <laughs> that clip is from an audio diary I recorded in 2020. My thoughts and experiences as I was living through the pandemic with my family, including a preschooler and newborn twins. Mm -hmm. And if you were listening closely, you could hear my breast pump going in the background and a baby cooing, which really captured the sound of life. (laughs) And this is part two of our series that shares my story. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, we're all in this together Question mark? Listen to that first. So you recorded these in spring and summer 2020, and here we are fall 2021. And mothers, parents, and caregivers are still very much the unacknowledged essential workers of this pandemic. Picking up the pieces after quarantines, health scares, canceled school, learning loss over and over and over and and over over again. You know, it did feel like a few months ago, like there was a moment where we were all really tapped into and aware of mothers and parents' anger, righteous anger, and there were a lot of articles about it. And then it just feels like society and everyone is just done. They're just like done hearing about it. Right. It's like we had our little media moment, and now all of us mothers and people with caregiving responsibilities, we're just supposed to move on because we had our five seconds of media attention. Like, I'm not moving on. I mean, if I could move on, I would. I'm stuck here in the same place. And so, you know, another thing to just put out there for additional context is Experts predict that the pandemic may cost sort of a typical woman $600,000 in lifetime lost earnings, which include, you know, I'm sorry, I just need to pause. I'm sorry. $600,000. $600,000 in lifetime lost earnings, which, and that is including, you know, lost retirement, lost potential raises. This is a really, really interesting, comprehensive Mm -hmm. Study. We're going to link to it. Um, it's a great article in Newsweek. We're going to link to it in the show notes so you can really look at the the ways that they're calculating this. But yes, $600,000 <laughs> in lifetime so lost much. earnings. It's so much. It's so much. And I think it's also just important to note that, again, people are not experiencing the pandemic in the same way. And for people of color, 30% of Latinx, 35% of Asian Americans, and 43% of Black families were behind on their rent or mortgage as of January 2021. So, like, mm. so many families are in serious financial turmoil. Yeah. And just far, far too much about how this country works just remains unchanged. 
It's bleak, right? <laughs> and I think that's what's contributing to so many people struggling. Like, and I include myself in that. Like, I'm functioning and I'm getting through, but on a fundamental level, like, I'm not okay. There's right. so much to be disillusioned about. There's so much to be disillusioned about, and there's just so much to also be angry about. Yes. And with anger, you know, we know this, that as mothers, we are actively encouraged to suppress anger. And because we've internalized, you know, those messages, it's often even hard for us to allow ourselves to fully express anger. Right. Mothers are supposed to be grateful. (laughs) We're supposed to sublimate our feelings And we're supposed to only care about our children and not about ourselves. And I just have to really strongly reject all of it. Yes, I will join you in roundly, unequivocally, absolutely rejecting all of it. Here we are. We're rejecting all of it. (laughs) So, and, you know, part of rejecting this is that we're sharing these audio diaries that I made from 2020 not because my experience was so exceptional, and it's certainly not any example of extreme hardship, but because we hope it helps you think about and tap into whatever mundane or horrible experience, or mundane and horrible experience, because sometimes those two are the same thing, (laughs) that you have been through in the last year and a half, that is not okay. Whatever that is, We see you, and what you've been through is just, it's not okay, and it deserves to be heard and honored. So as you said in part one of this series, one of America's repeated sins is our failure to account for past wrongs. From occupying indigenous land, to wealth that's built on slavery, to reproductive crimes that have been committed against women of color. So here at The Double Shift, we are all about naming those things. And in this moment, we're here to both document what has happened to mothers, to refuse to sweep it under the rug. And along with all of you, our community, get activated and angry about how people have been treated. So we can change things for moms, families, mistreated and burnt out workers, and undervalued caregivers. Our duty is to refuse to let this moment pass without demanding a better future for everyone. And at the end of this show, we're going to talk about some ways to do that. So in part two of this series, we're picking up as the fall of 2020 was looming, a time, as you may remember, of intense stress. All predictions, which were correct, were that the virus was going to get worse in the fall and winter, and vaccines at that time were really a distant fantasy. Okay, so to give you a little context for where I was when I was recording these, um, in my family, we had stable in-home childcare for our baby twins, so gratefully that was under control. But how we were going to manage my son Asher's kindergarten year, once we learned in-person public school was not going to be offered, that there was only going to be virtual school, Hmm. yeah, um, yeah. So... As you may recall, a hot topic at that time was potting and families getting together to share childcare and virtual school lessons or hiring a babysitter together to watch all the kids who, you know, weren't going to in-person school. And and so, like, so many other parents, Mm -hmm. like, as we're realizing what was going to happen this fall, I was just in a total frenzy 
over how we were going to manage this and also how so many other families were going to manage this. Like, that was very much on my mind, too, because it was sort of like everyone for yourself. And it was basically, like, almost all I could think about. And I was angry about all of it. And I decided to record my thoughts on a rage walk around the neighborhood. So let's take a listen. It's August 4th. Right now, all I've been fantasizing about is going to, like, a writer's retreat. (sighs) Do people with children ever get to go to writer's retreats? Do mothers? Of course people with children get to. Fathers go all the time. Okay. Um, The reality of what this fall is going to be is really setting in. And nobody's coming to save us. By us, I mean the collective children and families of America and also just, like, individually, everybody has to fucking work this out. And we are certainly very fortunate to be able to pay anyone to care for our kindergartner. But if we did not pay someone to care for our kindergartner, either he would be watching TV for 10 hours a day or I would not be able to work. So fuck everyone who says that you shouldn't be paying for someone to take care of your kids when all of our regular options have failed us. Also, I'm so over pod shaming. I should probably stop cursing. This whole thing could just be one long primal scream of fuck, honestly. Educational inequities are a super long-standing problem in our education system, and so is racism as it relates to housing and how schools are funded. And it's just astounding to me that after everything families have been through in the last five months, that people are piling on that any solution families come up with to remotely survive this is somehow wrong or bad or perpetuating white supremacy or immoral. Like, since when is using private daycare immoral? Like, I... Like, mothers are supposed to just fix this for everyone. Fix centuries of injustice in this moment. I just, like, we all have to figure out what we can do to survive. People are going to have to quit their jobs. People are going to have to pay someone to watch their kids. People are going to have to make terrible economic decisions because society has completely abandoned us. So stop criticizing mothers. Criticize a goddamn politician or anyone with power in this country. Just over this. Can you tell I'm angry? (laughs) I'm also... I'm angry because I don't have enough time to work on all of the issues and do all the work that I feel like is so necessary because of the social breakdown. <laughs> like, because so, like, there's so much work to just figure out our childcare, I have less time to do my paid work. 
I mean, and I'm trying to get involved in things that are really important to me that I think are important to society that are not directly related to my paid work. I mean, what is going on right now from a topic perspective is my Super Bowl. Like, I want to be part of this conversation, but I don't have enough childcare, and I just feel like this deep sense of dread about this fall. So one of my personal obsessions that I think so many families should consider is co-housing. Our episode, Don't Call Me Mom, Call Me Ted, was set in a co-housing community, and we've also talked about it in other episodes. With its common spaces and strong community, it offers kids freedom and independence to roam and connect with nature that is honestly hard to find these days, all with loving neighbors invested in your kids' lives. Right now, there's an opportunity to actually get in on a great community that's about to start construction. Co-housing ABQ owns four acres of land along the beautiful Rio Grande, just minutes from downtown Albuquerque. The community already has 12 kids and many aunties and grandparents, and they've supported one another through COVID and before, creating a culture of trust, fun, and care. All they need to be complete is you. Go to cohousingabq.org slash the double shift to check out their website and sign up for an info session. Honestly, browsing this website, this place looks really dreamy, and I'm not going to lie, it kind of makes me want to pick up and move to Albuquerque. So go check it out and learn more about how Cohousing ABQ can become your village. That's cohousingabq.org slash the double shift. It's also linked in our show notes. Hey, Double Shifters, it's Catherine. I am so glad you're enjoying our rich back catalog of episodes. And as you may know, we aren't putting out new episodes right now, but we're doing some really cool work we want you to know about. And we'd like to stay in touch with you. Please sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is full of great storytelling and ideas about the forces that shape family life in America. To sign up, go to thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. Also, we have a robust member community that's full of amazing moms from all over the world with Zoom hangouts on super interesting topics like creativity and challenging the status quo at work. We are building more and more ways for you all to get to know and support each other. That's just so important right now. We're also planning some great member benefits like audio newsletters. So if you particularly like connecting with us through listening It's a great way to keep double shift thinking in your ears and in your life. Also, we are a scrappy small business and your support helps us do what we do. Thoughtful journalism that tells important stories and challenges the status quo of motherhood and beyond. To become a member, go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. So remember, sign up for our free newsletter so we can stay in touch with you. It's thedoubleshift.com slash newsletter. And consider becoming a member. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join. Membership starts at $5 a month. Thanks. We're back, and we're picking up with my audio diaries. It's the fall 2020, and my husband and I are totally stressed about what to do with our five-year-old. 
His public kindergarten was completely online, which would leave us unable to work full-time. So we came up with this bizarre jigsawed solution. Double shifters, I know so many of you have been there. So we sent Asher back to his former daycare, which was a big unexpected cost, where he could go in person during the workday. But it was important to keep him enrolled at his public school that was virtual. So my husband and I committed to watching recorded lessons with him and catching up on virtual school assignments in our quote-unquote free time on nights and weekends. Yeah. (sighs) Let's take a listen. I would say virtual school is like one of the few regular daily occurrences of my adult life that makes me feel like truly dead inside. (laughs) I mean, there's really no other way to describe it. I have like an incredibly punk ass attitude about it. I am filled with, well, I was originally filled with rage at like everyone who has led to this moment, which of course is not the teachers and it's not the principals, it's the people in power who failed to get this virus under control. And I remind myself of that multiple times a day. But so now instead of just feeling rage, I feel like dead inside every time I'm trying to like get him to do something he doesn't want to do or he's like playing with toys instead of doing his schoolwork or I'm like bribing him slash threatening him to like get him to write letters. And the kids are all getting along really wonderfully, which is, like, this really special moment. And so then, like, he's like, I want to play with the babies and, like, wants to be really sweet with them. And instead, I'm supposed to be like, no, I need you to, like, practice your, like, handwriting. It just kills me. It's... Friday, August 28th, and I started this week by planning to really invest in my physical well-being, and I wanted to commit to exercising every day and not having any sugar or alcohol for two weeks as a reset and, like, really focus on feeling physically well. It's Friday night, and this week is ending with a glass of wine and a slice of key lime pie. That is the reality versus my fantasy about how this week was going to go. This is a really hard week. On to, sorry, Wednesday morning, Asher started complaining about being sick and having a tummy ache, and super high fevers and chills and dizziness and like a bunch of like kind of alarming symptoms. And I felt like pretty confident that he didn't have COVID, but it's like I was still running through any possible exposures and really like trying to think of any possible way he could have gotten it. And then like all the decisions of the past months were like flashing before my eyes about the calculated risks we've decided to make about daycare and other stuff. And I, like, you know, made those decisions with, like, a lot of rational input. And, you know, I have the (laughs) 
<laughs> state like health and human services, like daycare cluster, school and daycare cluster, like dashboard bookmarked on my computer as I was like evaluating this to make data informed decisions about how risky this was. And then I was like wondering all day yesterday after this test if we gambled wrong. When we did an original telehealth medicine visit and then we're going through various things and they're like, have you checked him for ticks? And I was like, I literally forgot ticks were a thing. Like, <laughs> I used to be much more vigilant about ticks, but with everything that has gone on this year, I just forgot that ticks were a thing. I just like spaced on that. I feel like there's so many other things going on that I thought like 2020 would have just canceled ticks and tick-borne illnesses. Like that was not allowed anymore. Apparently it is still allowed. So we got the test results back this morning and he is negative. He does not have COVID, which is unsurprising, but also a relief. But we then had to go through, he was still having, I mean, I was still just worried about him. And we still had to go through a lot of hoops to get seen in person. Like, they don't want to see anyone in person who, like, has a fever, which is kind of crazy considering how many children have fevers and all the normal things children need to be seen for doctors for. Like, thinking about having to do this again and again this winter for any illness, thinking about having to take him back to get another one of those brain swabs, like... I would have to lie to him. Like, there's no way he would consent to doing it again. I just, I feel so exhausted. And I feel like there's probably more of this level of exhaustion just for, like, basic childhood illnesses in our future. Um, so I think that this week also has just made COVID feel really real again and again, like every time you sort of, I think like, because this has gone on so long, you get in this place where you're like, oh, this isn't really about a scary pandemic. This is just about figuring out logistics. And this is about making my life livable and making choices and navigating things and figuring out safe ways to do X, Y, Z, rather than like being constantly reminded like that this virus is sort of at our doorsteps. So... It's not that I've forgotten that this is all about actually really serious illness, but uh, it just felt really real. And it also just reminded me about the precarity of my time. Um, I feel really energized by my work, but it also reminded me, which, you know, is true every time you're a working parent, that your plans can get like wiped out in, a, in an instant and your ideas about how your time is going to be spent can be destroyed by a sick kid, but it now feels even more acute and more precarious and that, especially doing stuff on deadlines, and now that I have three children, like, the number of times this could happen is, like, tripled, I guess. It's definitely intimidating as we think about production schedules. I'm just really tired. I guess I always feel like in every voice memo I talk about how tired I am, but still true, still tired.
And we're back. So you just heard Catherine in that last audio diary talking about how tired she was. I'm still tired, Angela. <laughs> I mean, we're all still tired. We're so tired. We're so <laughs> tired. <laughs> uh, so, Angela, we started this episode with a clip from me back in 2020 talking about the idea that mothers are essential workers. And yes. this is an idea I know that really resonates with you. Mm-hmm. In fact, you are writing an entire book about it. Yes, the manuscript for my book, which is officially titled Essential Labor, uh, is due November 1st. But yes, like that's the sort of the whole point. <laughs> it goes into some of the history of care work and how we've devalued this in America, and then also um, why it is so valuable in the day-to-day. And it's interesting because in the conversations around the title, with my editor, essential labor came up. I had suggested it. And we, she was on board, but she, there was a pause where she said, do we feel like maybe this is inviting some controversy? Like people might get upset. We have this idea of who an essential worker is, right? And I was like, no, I definitely hear that. But also, doesn't that just prove the point? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really curious to hear from you. What does it look like to demand that mothers be thought of as essential workers. Like, what is that? What is that world? Yeah, I mean, I think it's multiple levels, right? So I think mothers and caregivers, um, many of whom are also mothers, you know, we, I think it starts with us. Like, we need to insist upon this. I think we really need to own that identity to see ourselves as workers in solidarity um, who are no different from other essential workers, you know, healthcare workers or transportation workers, sanitation workers. You know, I think when we make that shift, it becomes a little easier to find our collective voice, Mm. right? And to make those demands. This is, you know, I'm obsessed with this idea of like, if not officially, but like unofficially unionizing, right? right? Like that is like, there is power in a union, there is power in collective action, there is power in a strong identity. So I think, you know, we that's when we can start to say, like, this is work that should be paid for, right? Or this is work that needs to be compensated. But I do think we're making progress on that, but we are a little ways away, right? So in the meantime, because what I'm talking about, you know, in terms of identity is a long-term cultural shift, Um, The other thing that I go into the book is I think we really need to believe in and double down on the importance of what we do every day. We are our children's first teachers, and we can impart better values and raise them to be people, you know, who hopefully won't have to unlearn all the bullshit that we had to unlearn. You know, like, we are coming into this stuff, admittedly, like, you know, like, later. There was a lot of stuff around mothers and caregiving that I never considered until I became a mother myself. Right. And that's a problem. You know what I mean? I think all children, all people should be aware of that from an earlier age. So I'm hoping that, you know, there's a radical potential in the way we mother and educate our children. And I'm hoping that, you know, just by their existence and believing in themselves and the value of all people, like, they can insist on a better world. So this episode really hinges on my anger and anxieties around the failure for public schools to reopen and how I felt Mm -hmm. like mothers were bearing the brunt of that collapse, both in terms of our essential labor, but Mm -hmm. also in terms of social, quote unquote, blame about how to manage this crisis. So, So what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like do all of this work and also it's your fault. Right. <laughs> if things aren't working. Right. That's very real. Um, you know, personally, I was faced with the bleak reality of virtual kindergarten and, um, you know, they can't tell time. They are like, they're not independent, right? My daughter was not independent. So, you know, basically what happened was I stopped a lot of my paid work, you know, and I was also dealing with depression. And we talked about that earlier this year and about like what that decision cost me financially in terms of progress on my book. And it was like, I mean, I'm not even sure now. I mean, it definitely cost me at least $30,000. Right. The irony of doing uncompensated labor and then not being able to do this work on essential labor of mothering is just (laughs) wow yes it's right (laughs) so much there um so just take us up to where you are in fall 2021 like where are you now in terms of your family and and work I mean, it's coming out of depression and feeling an urgency in my work. Um, I'm very much trying to let go of my perfectionist tendencies, which is very hard, um, and just kind of produce a book that's of this moment. Me being able to do this book is totally dependent on the fact that I have Lagaya is in preschool every day, my little three-year-old in her mask, and Noli is in full-time school six hours a day, except on Wednesdays, um, when it's a half day. But... um I'm going to meet my deadline, I think. Like, it's going to break me getting there. But the big sort of X factor is if one of my kids has to go into quarantine for 14 days, it's very possible that I won't right. make my deadline. So it's it's there's still sort of the precarity is still very much there, even though you're in this time of sort of intense professional renaissance, you know? <laughs> yeah, which feels great because, like, my professional renaissance is so tied with, like, my personal And, you know, we have talked about this. I've written articles about this. Like, I'm generally never trying to do more. Like, (laughs) I am, like, I like to chill. I mean, I work really hard, and I really don't want to work harder. I feel like that's... And it's taken me a while to admit that I used to have shame around that. But now I'm just like, no, no. I like to... I like to lay down. I like to be comfortable. (laughs) And I'm going really hard. And it feels good, though. It does feel really good. But it is still, as you said, like, I feel the precarity of it. Like, I feel like it could all fall apart at any minute. And that's a a really terrible feeling. It's so interesting because I feel like um, I'm... I'm bringing myself up to fall 2021. I'm just in a very different place than I was in fall 2020. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. fall 2020, I was really going full throttle, like coming out of my, I'm going to use air quotes, maternity leave, (laughs) and just really excited to be working on these issues and to be bringing you into the double shift world and starting to make a show with you. And you know, I'm actually working less than I was in fall 2020. I'm still mm-hmm. very busy, but um, yeah. I, I think I needed to stop, like, running a marathon at a sprint pace, which I think just yeah. nobody throughout this pandemic can sustain, you know, what we thought was going to be these short-term situations. And so mm-hmm. I think a little breathing room has actually really helped me refocus both in my work and my family life. That has been really good. But yeah, I'm realizing that this has been a time where you can't just have just burst of energy and productivity after burst of energy of productivity. Like that's just not the rhythm of life we're in right now. Yeah. I mean, you can't work your way out of 
where we are right now. And it makes me really happy to hear you say that, to say that you're like taking that time and that you feel really good, especially since I think our entire um, relationship has been defined by me always sending you messages to rest. Like, even <laughs> when like, you were pregnant with the twins. You're like, like, have you napped Make sure yet? to take a nap. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, um, so I'm glad. I'm really glad that you've slowed it down. I will, I'll crank it up for the next couple of months. Yes. So that you can. Yes. Chill. So thinking back on that fall and up to now, the present, there is the huge problem with how everything being discussed, it was all framed as a personal choice. Personal choice, right. Right. As though like parenting is a lifestyle, right? And we, Really, we don't have that many choices. <laughs> That's the reality. And we are living in a system that makes, like, all choices bad. Um, yes. This is, like, modern-day American capitalism. You know, in your voice memo, you said something like how, you know, we're talking like parents paying for private daycare or private school or perpetuating white supremacy. And, you know, and it made me think. But, yeah, to a certain extent, you know, it is perpetuating white supremacy. But... We all perpetuate systems that we don't believe in or feel great about sometimes in order to survive. Right. Like, unfortunately, that is inherent to modern American life. There's, like, no consumption that is ethical. I really believe that. And the other thing is, like, when we do that blaming, right, of mothers and we blame ourselves and we we get caught up in that, um, it's like we're putting the onus on us to somehow fix things. And that's like reinforcing what society says too. And I just want to say really clearly, like it is not on mothers to fix all of this in a moment of deep crisis. Absolutely. Yes. And I think the idea that when we're faced with no good choices, we blame ourselves instead of the systems that brought us to the place of no good choices mm -hmm. is such a you know, American cultural way we ingrain ourselves to think about motherhood. And like, you know, I think maybe a different way to think about the idea of like, is hiring someone to watch your kids while you work immoral? Like, that's not the question. It's, is not having a high quality, affordable public option to care for children for everyone. Like, not having that is what's immoral. Exactly. And I, I want to get back to something you said at the beginning of this episode that, you know, we had this moment where people were talking about moms being angry for like, what felt like two seconds. Yes. And I kind of think that part of what makes it possible for society or media to like move on from this moment of um, where mothers and caregivers are is because we've been living like this for so long that we've all sort of developed ways to do it. Like... I almost feel like it's like we're getting better at living under these circumstances. We're almost getting better at pandemic living and like, we're like, oh, I can do this. But like, we shouldn't have to do this, right? Like it's, we can get better, but it's not sustainable. Right. And so how do you think we can use, you know, this idea of anger that you and I are very much not over? We are still very much in our anger. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we use this to push for change? So, I mean, I see it. I need to say that I, I do see it happening. Like, do you remember two years ago? Or when? Oh, God. I mean, time is... What is time? So, I remember when Elizabeth Warren gave that speech at the DNC. I mean, I guess that was 2020. When she used the phrase, 
child care's infrastructure. Of course. Which is, like, I cried when she said it. And, you know, I had heard that before, but I hadn't heard it really, like, on mainstream primetime media, right? And in the year, like, in the year after she said that, there was a front-page article in the business section of the New York Times about how child care became infrastructure. So I'm saying this because I think that, like, that conversation is actually shifting, and that's to the credit of a lot of people who have been working to push care, the agenda of care, right? So I see that happening. So I think we need to support that work, work being done by like, you know, like the National Domestic Workers Alliance, that that's happening. Um, the other thing is that like, we are closer than ever on paid leave. Yes. Um, you know, things that I didn't think were possible, <laughs> um, you know, the child tax credit, which is temporary right now, and it is not a comprehensive, affordable child care plan. But when Donald Trump was president, which again was not even a year ago. A year ago. Like, there's no way we would even be talking about that, you know, but that's happening. So I think it's we need to not let this moment pass by. And like we were saying, like, we need to insist, like, we need to continue to talk about it because we cannot let other people move on. Yeah. And I think that because this time has been so intense, it feels like progress can be really slow when you're just like, I'm waking up again today and still nothing is different. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. But I do think that there are, I agree with you, that there are some, you know, progress can be slow, but there are some like positive indications that things are changing and that culture is changing and that conversation is changing and that there's some potential sort of big picture federal legislative changes, which could make a huge difference. Yeah. But one of the one for me, one source of inspiration about change being possible actually has been you all, our listener community, because you can talk about big federal legislation and that can feel anonymous. It feels like you can't really influence anything. But we have been having these double shift member hangouts. We started this summer and As we start, we always ask people, so why are you here today? And one of my favorite answers that we hear fairly regularly is, I want to find people who are as angry as I am. Yes. (laughs) And I'm just like, fuck yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that. I mean, there are, it just feels so right to be putting double shifters in contact with each other, like-minded people, because also I forget how... Sometimes, like, we are isolated, especially, like, within our homes or, like, we live in communities where not everyone is, like, on the same page as us. Yes. So it's really amazing to see people get together and see, like, the sparks fly. Yeah. And what we are hearing from our members actually totally blows me away. Like, we're hearing about things like how they're getting their workplace policies changed for better paid family leave and, like, how they did Mm -hmm. it. And, like, they are organizing moms to lobby their state legislatures and, like, get the moms up in there and make politicians' lives harder for not supporting family policies. They are working on getting more female representation in their church. Like, a lot of things that are important to them, they are taking action on and sharing with us, like, what they're passionate about and what they're doing. And it's just tons of inspiring stories just, like, of just real differences people are making in their communities. Yeah, it's really powerful. And I get like body tingles when they start talking about their work. Um, You know, and some of these are big projects and these issues can seem massive. But if you want to do something meaningful, it doesn't have to be about a huge undertaking. Yes. 
Like we here at the Double Shift are all about starting small. That small is actually really big, can be really big and really subversive and important. Totally. And I, I we also, of course, just have to acknowledge that like so many people feel burnt out and like, yes. Even though public schools are mostly sometimes open, occasionally, <laughs> we are still dealing with the pandemic, with quarantines, the uncertainty. And it like if it's okay to not have bandwidth for taking on anything, that's okay. Right. It's okay to not have bandwidth. It's okay to just say, you know, your focus is getting through every day and there may be another point in your life where you're able to contribute more. That's fine too. Yeah, there's um I follow this account on Instagram called the Nap Ministry. <laughs> and the whole premise of this is that rest is part of resistance, mm. right? Because we've it's ingrained in us that we have to be productive. And like, yes, we want to improve things, but sometimes it's I know that you've talked about this. It's the idea that you have to put your own oxygen mask on. Yes. That is very real. Like you need to make sure you are whole. You know, and I think another thing that's a, a good place to start is wherever you are at. One of the best first steps you can take is finding your people. Yes. Finding your people is so important. And that doesn't have to be a scary undertaking. Like, finding your people can be inviting one friend to come with you to a protest so you don't have to go alone. Like, that can be finding your people. It can be having one friend over for one hour of writing comments and letters in support of teacher and bus driver raises, like whatever your issue is that you're interested in. I mean, it could be just emailing 10 friends about a candidate like that you're really excited about in your city council race. Like influencing local elections is important and also can have a huge difference in communities. Just don't be afraid to be angry, you know? Just don't <laughs> don't be afraid of that emotion. Stay angry. Like, I just want people to think about what you've been through and what others have been through. And just, like, don't be afraid to speak up. And if you have the ability to speak up about something, do it for the people who don't have the energy or bandwidth or power to be heard or support to absorb blowback. Like, stand up for them. Yes, that is how we can start to move through this together. If what we do here means something to you, I hope you'll consider becoming a member of the show. It starts at $5 a month. And if you're able to pay by the year, that helps us even more. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. This is an independent show, and we cannot do this work without you all, our amazing community who supports us with your hard-earned money. So thank you so much to everyone who can donate. It means so much to us. And this fall, we are trying something new. Double Shift members are getting super fun monthly Zoom hangouts with a different theme each month with me, Angela, and you all. And you all are an amazing group of people, and I've loved getting to know you. So don't forget to go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to get in on the fun. Also, one more favor. Please tell people about this show. 
post about it on social media, text it to friends, share it, spread the word. You all are absolutely our best marketing and we need you to help get the word out. Thanks. The Double Shift is created and hosted by me, Katherine Goldstein. Our co-host is Angela Garbes. Our senior producer is Rachel McCarthy. Our producer is Olivia Richardson. Our editor is Anita Rao. Our research assistant is Jada Hester. Music by Travis Morrison and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme song is by Palehound. Our mixer is Corey Schreppel. We're funded in part by the generous support of you, our members. We can't do this without you. Go to thedoubleshift.com slash join to become a member. We are independently produced and distributed. Thanks for being part of The Double Shift.